the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. If we look to the answer as to why for so many years we achieved so much, prospered as no other people on earth, it was because here in this land we unleashed the energy and individual genius of man to a greater extent than has ever been done before. This great nation will endure as it has endured. Let me assert my firm belief that the only thing we have to fear is fear itself. Freedom and the dignity of the individual have been more available and assured here than in any other place on earth. You are about to embark upon the great crusade toward which we have striven these many months. The eyes of the world are upon you. The hopes and prayers of liberty-loving people everywhere march with you. We're not, as some would have us believe, doomed to an inevitable decline. I do not believe in a fate that will fall on us no matter what we do. I do believe in a fate that will fall on us if we do nothing. And so, my fellow Americans, ask not what your country can do for you, ask what you can do for your country. From every mountainside, let freedom ring, and if America is to be a great nation, this must become true. So let freedom ring. As for the enemies of freedom, those who are potential adversaries, they will be reminded that peace is the highest aspiration of the American people. We will negotiate for it, sacrifice for it. We will not surrender for it now or ever. We are Americans. This is Always Right Radio on AM 1420, The Answer. Here's your host, Bob France. Oh, yes, indeed. Good morning. Ten minutes after the hour of nine o'clock, and we are underway on a Thursday, the 20th morning of the seventh month of the year of our Lord, 2023. Thank you so much for joining us. We've got a very, very big show for you today. We are packed up. Coming up in a half an hour, we talk issue one with former Ohio Secretary of State and gubernatorial candidate Ken Blackwell. At 1010, we navigate the culture wars with Dr. Everett Piper. Coming up at 10.35, we go back to the Daily Signal's Tyler O'Neill, who wrote an amazing piece on the gaslighting that the current federal government continues to do to the American people. And uh, at 11 o'clock, we're going to have Josh Williams, uh, uh, state uh, representative from Toledo, uh, who has sponsored a bill that is, uh, I think, commonsensible in protecting kids from obscenity, because that's what it's all about. Uh, in the state of Ohio, House Bill 245, which, of course, is being destroyed by uh, the uh, the radical leftists who think it's just a terrible idea to protect kids from obscenity. So all of that is coming up on the program. We're going to start in a different way this morning. 
But the first thing we are going to do, as we always do, is give us a, uh, get our Pledge of Allegiance. So, Patriots, go ahead and stand and face your flag. If you have one nearby, put your hand on your heart and join us. If you do not believe in the principles and the bedrock, the foundation that that flag represents, our Constitution and this great country, then don't fake it. Don't stand and pledge your allegiance to it for virtue. Just go ahead and admit what you are. Take a knee next to that socialist quarterback over there. As for all of the rest of us, I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the republic for which it stands, one nation, under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. Going to do this because this needs to be done today for a multitude of reasons. Sucker punch somebody on a sidewalk, carjacking old lady at a red light, pull a gun on the Store. You think it's cool, act a fool if you like Cuss out a cop, spit in his face Stomp on the flag and light it up Yeah, you think it's tough Well, try that in a small town See how far you make it down the road Around here we take care My granddad gave me They say one be that's gonna round up Well that's fly in the city Good luck Try that in a small town See how far you make it down the road Around here we take care of our own You cross that line It won't take long for you to find out I recommend you don't So, as I said, um, I had to play that for a multitude of reasons. 
The first is because the left hates to hear it every time it's played, which makes me want to play it 24-7 around the clock. They hate the fact that it is the number one most downloaded song on iTunes in America. The only thing they hate more than that song is the video that goes with the song. And that's why they're trying to cancel Jason Aldean. I'm going to tell you God's honest truth here. I'm not going to lie. I'm not a country music fan. Not a ton anyway. I mean, there's a few songs where I'll, it's catchy and I'll be like, oh, yeah, okay, I can get with this. It's got a good, it's got a good vibe. And I may toe tap a little bit, and I may even sing a very precious few. I think I've talked about this a little bit in the past. Uh, I, I was raised up on hillbillies, which, which is what my mom called the country music that she listened to, which was you know back from the seventies. And she called it she's putting on her hillbilly tapes uh, when I was around the house. And that's all I. So yeah, I got into that too. But that's about the extent of it. Modern day country music, a little bit here and there, like I said, not a ton. Was never really a Jason, Jason Aldean fan. There was never a Jason Aldean critic. Didn't really pay much attention. Probably couldn't have named a song. But now they're trying to cancel him. Now they're trying to destroy his career over this song and the video that, that accompanies it. And I need to talk about this. They're claiming that the song itself is promoting violence. Number one, they're saying it's promoting violence because he references a gun that his dad, granddad gave him. And uh, that that gun might be used to defend himself if somebody tried to pull some of that stuff that happens in the big cities in a small town. That's literally the only reference uh, to uh, to firearms and the whole thing. But they're talking, about, they're talking about how it promotes gun violence. The second thing, and most important thing, of course, is they're calling this a pro-lynching song. They're calling this a racist song. Jason Aldean, and I, I may have read this yesterday. I've been doing a lot of radio lately, so I can't remember every show I've, I've read things on, But because I'm going to be in for Dr. G again today. Jason Aldean responded to all of this saying, point to a lyric that mentions race. One, there are none, because this has nothing to do with race. This has everything to do with a message that says we don't do things in small towns the way they do them in the big city, like attacking cops. We don't do things in small towns like they do in the big city, like holding massive riots, masquerading as protests, when you don't like something that happens. Nowhere is race ever even mentioned. But in showing the video that accompanies the song, it features a lot of the actual real-life footage from the Summer of Love, otherwise known as the 2020 BLM slash Antifa riots that happened for months all across the country. Where? In small towns? Nope. In the big cities. So he wrote a song saying, you can do that crap there, we don't do that stuff here. And we won't stand for that stuff here. And somehow that makes Jason Aldean and his wife, Brittany Dean, racist. Brittany Aldean, excuse me. So apparently that makes them racist. The only thing that makes them racist in the eyes of the American left, it has nothing to do with this song. They're both conservative, and they're outspoken conservatives. Very few in the entertainment industry and in the uh, celebrity industry are conservative, at least openly, because they know that that means cancellation. And so they've been looking for a way to take this guy and his wife down for a long time now, and now they feel like they've got it, and so they're going to try to destroy his career. Not only did they 
uh, make enough complaints to force multiple uh, music companies to yank the song, including CMT, Country Music Television, they're trying to get him banned from upcoming events, charitable events that he's going to be uh, playing at as well. They're trying to literally ruin his career over this song. So I thought it might be interesting to do two things. Number one, actually make sure you understood the lyrics that you heard. And then number two, talk about what the real criticism is here and what it really means. Try that in a small town. Sucker punch somebody on a sidewalk. Carjack an old lady at a red light. Pull a gun on the owner of a liquor store. You think it's cool? Well, act a fool if you like. Cuss out a cop, spit in his face, stomp on a flag and light it up. Yeah, you think you're tough? Well, try that in a small town. See how far you make it down the road. Round here, we take care of our own. You cross that line, it won't take long for you to find out. I recommend you don't. Try that in a small town. Got a gun my granddad gave me. They say one day they're going to round up. Well, that S-word stuff, we'll say, might fly in the city. Good luck. Try that in a small town. See far how. In other words, try to confiscate our guns. Round them up. See if I make it down the road. Round here, we take care of our own. You cross that line, it won't take long for you to find out. I recommend you don't. Try that in a small town full of good old boys raised upright. If you're looking for a fight, try that in a small town. See far, see how far you make it down the road. In other words, the entire song essentially is an ode to what is a very popular meme on left-wing social media, which is FAFO. You know what FAFO stands for in social media? Hashtag FAFO. It's blank around find out. And that first blank starts with an F, so you can figure it out. Blank around find out. Screw around and find out what happens to you is kind of the message. And it's a popular message on, again, left-wing social media. All Jason Aldean did was write a song that said, blank around, find out. In a small town, that stuff that you do in the city, the carjacking, the pulling guns, the attacking cops, all that stuff doesn't fly here. We don't do that here. And suddenly it turns him into a racist and a pro-lyncher. Part of the video was shot in front of a courthouse, I don't even know where, where apparently back in 1927, someone was lynched from a second-story window. A black man was lynched from some second-story window. I don't know the details. I don't care, because I guarantee you that Jason Aldean didn't pick this courthouse because of that history. Jesse Waters yesterday on Fox did a very nice job of pointing out that many other Hollywood productions have been filmed right in front of that very same courthouse that the video is done in. So they can't say that it had anything to do with that. Let me tell you what it really is and why this has become such a national conversation in just 24 to 48 hours. They're not just attacking Jason Aldean. They're attacking you and every American in rural America that comes from a small town. Why? Because they hate rural America. Small-town rural America, in the eyes of the elites, the leftists on both coasts, the leftists in L.A. think they know everything that the rubes in the small towns could never comprehend. The elites on the East Coast in New York, and in Boston, and in Philadelphia... They despise small-town, rural America. Want to know why? 
Barack Obama told you why. Because all you do is cling to your religion and your guns. They hate small-town America. They hate rural America. They think you're dumb. They tell you, go milk the cows, send us the milk, and then sit down and shut up. That's all you're good for. You leave the policy, and you leave the culture to us, advanced, highly educated, Ivy League, and Stanford types. You leave all of that to us. They hate small towns for the same reason they hate the Electoral College. Right? Every year, you know, especially when, you know, the, the, the left wins the popular vote, but they don't win the electoral vote because rural America matters, according to the founding fathers. Everybody's vote matters. And what's good for one part of the country is not necessarily good for another part of the country, which is why all of the parts of the country need to have a fair say. They hate the Electoral College. They want popular vote, which means the 7 million people in New York and the 6.5 million people in L.A. and the 5.5 million people in Philadelphia and the 5 million people in in, uh, Chicago, the biggest cities in America, which are all overwhelmingly leftist, their votes should be the only ones that count. I don't care what you think out there in the hills. I don't care what you think out there on the plains. We don't care what you think out there in the cornfields. We don't care what you think out there in the mountains. You don't count. What do you think you get equal representation? They hate rural, small-town America. So this attempt to destroy Jason Aldean is an attempt to essentially reverse Bud Light, rural, conservative, small-town America. That's what they're trying to do. They're trying to reverse Bud Light. In other words, they're trying to turn the tables and crush someone like Jason Aldean, the way that the conservative boycott of Bud Light has crushed that brand and made it just an absolute nightmare for their parent companies. They're trying to do that. They're trying to do a target to Jason Aldean, and like I said to all of us. So the question becomes, will they succeed? Well, I think I said that at the very top of the segment. This is the number one most downloaded song in America right now. The number one most downloaded song in America, and for one very good reason. Because small-town conservative America, and conservative America everywhere, maybe it's suburban America where I live, but conservative America has, has made their point. They've said, here's what we think of your cancellation of Jason Aldean or cancellation of small-town conservative values. We're not playing along. We're not doing it. Jason Aldean has millions more fans now than he did before this. I'm one of them. Because around here, we take care of our own. That's right. Two one six nine zero one zero nine four five. The number to join us. We got a great guest coming up, Ken Blackwell. After the bottom of the hour, stay here, small town, wherever you are. We love you.
the sleeping masses and stoking the fire of the American dream. Always Right Radio with Bob France on The Answer. 934, good morning. Thanks for being with us. Don't forget, Dr. Edward Piper guides us through the culture war again at 1010 this morning. Very much looking forward to that. But I want to start with uh, issue one once again. We've been talking about it literally every day, even long before early voting started, which was a week ago this past Tuesday. So we're, what, about nine days into early voting. We need to get out there, and we need to support issue one. We have to pass issue one if we want to protect the Ohio Constitution and stop radical amendments to the Ohio Constitution, like the one that is proposed for November, from getting through. Joining us now is uh, Ken Blackwell. He is a former treasurer of the state of Ohio, former secretary of state, former mayor of Cincinnati, and he is a staunch opponent of uh, the nonsense that the uh, out-of-state uh, special interest groups are trying to to pull here by changing the Ohio Constitution. Uh, Mr. Blackwell, good to have you back on the program. How are you, sir? Hey, Bob. Always good to be with you. Always good to talk long. to you. So so you wrote an op-ed recently I'd like you to kind of discuss here a little bit. You agree that Ohio's Constitution is far too easy uh, to amend. Um, I concur with that, but the opponents of Issue 1 say, well, look, it's been that way since 1912, and uh, you know, if when the Constitution was written and that those powers were given uh, to change it with a 50% plus one, why should we change that now? How are you answering these folks, sir? Well, basically what I'm saying is that uh, this would not uh, radically change the Constitution. It would, in fact, fortify our Constitution because our Constitution has been changed 172 times since 1851. And although the opponents of Issue 1 make the case that that you just stated, they uh, hypocritically... Uh, uh, you know, have in their own kind the ACRU, I mean, ACLU, the uh, uh, teachers union, uh, all of them uh, require 60% thresholds to, to change their, uh, their documents and their constitution. So, I mean, th- this hand wringing and arm waving is, is just an attempt uh, to prevent uh, Ohioans from fortifying their constitution. You know, as, as has been stated, uh, if approved on August the 8th, issue one has the added benefit of thwarting special interest groups like the ACLU in their efforts to place a truly abhorrent constitutional amendment on the Ohio ballot this November, uh, that would eliminate, uh, parental, parental rights. Uh, and Bob, let me just say this because, uh, I've, I've, been on the ground and worked issues in, in our state for over 50 years. Uh, and the ACLU's extreme proposal goes far beyond what reasonable uh, uh, Ohioans want. Uh, it is so far-reaching that in the Buckeye State where uh, minors must receive written permission to simply obtain an aspirin at school, parental <laughs> involvement requirements uh, would be abolished when it comes to reproductive decisions pertaining to their child. This is a, that in November is a radical proposal. Uh, this uh, proposal on, on the 8th uh, just is a common sense raising of the bar from 50% to uh, 60% uh, to stop uh, the, the special interest from just flooding our, our state with dollars 
uh, and this and, and radical radical uh, life altering proposals. Yeah, that's very well said. We're talking with former Ohio Secretary of State Ken Blackwell, also former gubernatorial candidate. So, Mr. Blackwell, um, when we talk about um, raising the threshold. Um, they say that that is taking power away from the citizens. It's taking giving more power to the government. And as conservatives, we should be opposed to this because we're the ones who are for small government. How do you respond to those who say this just gives way too much power to the legislature and less to the actual citizenry? Well, you know, I've been around for three quarters of a century. I've studied the, the U.S. Constitution uh, and and let's let's do a side by side comparison. Raising the threshold in Ohio's constitution uh, to amend it to sixty percent uh, still is not as restrictive as the as the U.S. Constitution. Uh, and that our our nation's constitution was carefully uh, crafted for durability, and has allowed our nation to flourish for the past two hundred and forty five years. Uh, in large measure, that is due to the fact that it is not easy to amend the, the, the Constitution of the United States. Uh, and one of the weaknesses of the Ohio Constitution, on the other hand, is that it is currently far too easy uh, to, to, to amend. Uh, this, this is uh, not um, uh, un- uncommon thinking when it comes to constitutionalists uh, and when it comes to making sure that, uh, um, you know, decisions that are made, life-altering decisions, power-shifting decisions, decisions that would uh, just wipe out parental rights uh, in, in, in our traditional family and, and the history of this nation should be made by a clear majority of citizens, not 50% plus one, but 60%. And that is just, that is just, it's, it's, it's very reasonable. You know, you know, just think about the, just think about the, uh, the, uh, U.S. Constitution. It, it requires a two thirds majority vote in the House of Representatives and Senate plus 75% of state legislatures for ratification. That is a much higher bar, but it, that, those those bars, those thresholds, have served our nation well. Um, Mr. Blackwell, when um, when I bring that point up to people that I debate on this issue, they say it's a false comparison, a false equivalency to compare the federal constitution to the state constitution. That a better comparison is state to state. And uh, only about half the states, anyway, allow citizen-initiated petitions to reach uh, uh, the ballot for uh, for a constitutional amendment. And if this goes through, Ohio's will be one of the strongest. Um, I think another state does fifty-five percent. Only one other state does sixty percent. The uh, the the other uh, majority of them have that same fifty percent plus one mentality. So they're arguing, why do we have to have the most stringent uh, of all the states rather than comparing it to the U.S. Constitution? Well, I, I think it's, you know, why, what's wrong with Ohio leading the way in strengthening state constitutions? Uh, the fact of the matter is, is that we, we, we are going to be a leader, uh, but it is, it is not unreasonable leadership. I think it is practical, um, leadership and it, and it stops at a time when, uh, the radical left, 
is pouring millions upon millions of dollars as outsiders to change our, our Constitution, why not strengthen the hand of, of Ohio voters? And so we need, we, need to, we need to push back on that nonsense. And again, uh, if, you, if you stop to look at some of these organizations that are, that are uh, resisting this raising of the, the threshold, uh, and you look at those governing documents in their in their organization, uh, it takes 60% to change those documents. So what's good for the goose is good for the gander. Yeah, you know, that hypocrisy has always struck me, particularly with the Democrat Party of Ohio. <clears throat> the Democrat Party requires that 60%. As you mentioned, the ACLU and a number of other organizations do the same thing. And they look at us and say, oh, yeah, well, the Republican Party in your bylaws only require 50% plus one to change your constitution. So why can't you do that? And How backwards are these people? All that does is prove (laughs) our point that we believe the Ohio Constitution to be far more important and far more impactful of all Ohioans, that it should reflect a strong majority of Ohioans to amend that constitution, as opposed to our party's uh, bylaws, which, of course, affect only us. Yeah, and Ohio has been targeted by the radical left uh, in in terms of, uh, again, life-threatening alterations uh, in our our Constitution of this November. Uh, You you look at the amendment um, that's coming up this November, uh, you're you're talking about uh, action that would not only just uh, wipe out parental rights, uh, it it would... uh, permit painful late-term abortions right up to the moment of birth in our state. Uh, so we, we, you know, first things first, let's fortify our Constitution, raise the, 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 the threshold from 50% to 60%. Uh, and then I think it's going to be very important that we go out and defeat uh, that uh, initiative uh, in, uh, in, in, in November. Uh, but this is, a, this is a two-step process. And look, I, I would be the first to say uh, this is a, a fortification of our state constitution that is long overdue. Uh, and but this is not the first time that I've argued uh, that we should raise that you we should raise the threshold. I think more and more Ohioans are seeing how outsiders are exploiting that weakness in our constitution uh, to have a substantial impact. Uh, on 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 our lives and and our and our institutions. Um, in, in in November, the issue is a not only a threat to innocent life, uh, but a threat uh, to uh, the nuclear family as we have uh, uh, come to appreciate it in our two hundred and forty five year history as well. a constitutional republic. We are talking with former Ohio Secretary of State and Treasurer Ken Blackwell, and we're talking about supporting Issue 1. You know, it's everything you're saying is, is common sense to me, and it is, uh, it is spot on. Outside of Ohio, we are, we do have a lot of groups that are, that are pouring a lot of money in, but they're also making it personal. I am getting more and more people sharing with me 
mailers and letters and correspondences with their names on them being sent from from Boston, from Philadelphia, from Los Angeles, from New York, to Ohio voters. They're getting access to Ohio voter registration lists. They're getting their addresses, and they're sending them notes from out of uh, out of state telling us how we should vote here and what we should do with our Constitution. That lets you know this is a bigger picture than just Ohio. Oh, it is. This is a national it, movement, it, it, and Ohio is a linchpin in that. It, it really is, and and, and Bob, let me just say a lesson that I learned in 2004 uh, in the presidential race. Uh, the the left uh, and uh, they just uh, parachuted in a lot of young folks with handheld computers, uh, and they went door to door in in our neighborhoods, and then uh, flew back out to their respective uh, cities and, and and states. We defeated. Uh, them uh, in that election, both the presidential election and there was an amendment on the ballot uh, that uh, that was very uh, important that defined marriage as a union between a man and a woman. Uh, and uh, we did it the old-fashioned way, neighbor to neighbor, family member to family member, church member to church member. Uh, we, we did the groundwork uh, among ourselves, and that's what's going to have to happen uh, on the 8th uh, of August and then uh, on, in November in that, in that election. We're going to have to do it the old-fashioned way, uh, neighbor to neighbor, church yep. member to church member, family member to family member, and we, and we can't get it done. Very well said. That's exactly what it is. True grassroots to counter the, you know, multi millions of dollars that are being spent to uh, try to uh, take away our cons, our right, our constitution, rather our protection of our constitution mm-hmm. by allowing it to be diced up by anybody that's got something that you don't uh, feel like getting through the legislature. They just want to go straight to uh, the constitution. Well, former Secretary of State Ken Blackwell, thank you for your leadership in this. We certainly appreciate what you're doing. Keep spreading the word, as you say, voice to voice, church member to church member, family member to family member. We will get this done by August 8th. Thank you, sir. God bless you, Bob. God bless you, too. Uh, There's Ken Blackwell joining us. It's 948. We'll take a time out here. We'll have some time for some calls on the other side. Don't forget, we've got a very packed show today. Dr. Everett Piper will be at 1010. Tyler O'Neill coming up at 1035. And uh, Josh Williams, who I spoke with yesterday, whom I spoke with yesterday on the uh, Dr. Gorka show. I'll be in for Dr. G again today. But uh, Representative Josh Williams will be 1110. So pick your spots, hit them where they ain't. This is a spot for you. 216-901-0945 right after this. Nine fifty four. Thanks for being with us. I'm always right radio. I want to um, get Dr. Piper coming up here after the top of the hour. Culture worry type stuff. I want to do a culture war quick hit here. This is um, yesterday on CNN. Um, not that I watch CNN, but this is the kind of thing that I do research and 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 sometimes just stumble across. Yesterday on CNN, they were talking about the interview that Ron DeSantis did with uh, Jake Tapper on CNN. And um, Ron DeSantis talked about what his plans are if he becomes president, to do the same thing to the country that he did to Florida, and that is to de it. I made that word up. To, you know, get the woke out of the military, get the woke out of the federal government, get the woke out of everything that we can that it's infecting because it's divisive and corrosive and destructive to virtually everything it touches. So on CNN, they, uh, 
they had their political analyst, Bakari Sellers, on to talk about what DeSantis said and to talk about wokeness. And he wants you to think, this is, this is gaslighting, he and they want you to think that wokeness doesn't really exist. It's a made-up word. It's a made-up thing. It's a fairy tale. It's an imagination thing that conservatives came up with to be bigoted. That's essentially what he said. Listen to this. It's completely out of touch with, with what most Americans are feeling. You know, Joe Biden is out here talking about Bidenomics, and his disconnect is trying to make sure that Bidenomics meets people in their pockets. Wokeness, or whatever Ron DeSantis and Nikki Haley and everybody else want to say, is so far away from the average everyday American. These people who are working in this, as you can probably hear in the background, working on this hotel across the street, they're not worried about wokeness. They're worried about insurance. Yeah. They're worried about making sure that their, you know, that their pocketbooks are filled. They're not worried about somebody being too woke in whatever aspect of the government it is. And so that is my point to uh, Ron DeSantis. He's running against this fairy. He's running against an imagine, an imagination. But at least Donald Trump is running on policies that I disagree with. But he- Obviously, he meant to say fairy tales. He stopped with fairies. I'm going to be, or fairy, I'm going to give him the benefit of the doubt there. Although the left wouldn't do that for me or anybody else if they said he's chasing a fairy or whatever it is. He meant to say fairy tale, and then he said an imagination. Wokeness is imagination. It's, it's, it's a fairy tale that didn't exist. Those workers over there they, in the background, they, they care about putting money in their pockets, not about wokeness. Really? Let's talk about what the American people care about. You're on CNN for crying out loud. You do topical news stories. You do them with a very, very leftist slant, but you know they exist. How can you deny the existence of wokeness as a massive, massive issue in the upcoming presidential election? In every election that this country happens to, uh, you know, to put forth in every state. How do you deny wokeness? How do you call it a fairy tale that in schools, parents are legitimately concerned about half of the kids in the school, the black kids, being told you are nothing but victims, you're never going to be able to get over on your racist white friends over there, and then telling the white kids you are always going to be offenders, you're going to be oppressors, you are always going to be, it's in your DNA, your, your slave master mentalities, you are always going to be judged guilty by the sins of people who looked like you years ago. How do, you, how do you think that doesn't exist? That's wokeness. CRT is wokeness. Telling children they have to figure out who they're attracted to at a very, very young age before they even know what sex or sexuality or sexual orientation is. But you better pick not only who you're attracted to, but what your gender is by the time you're in second grade. That's wokeness. Erasing actual science and telling people you better get an electric vehicle if you want to save the planet. Telling them you can't have a gas stove if you want to save the planet. That's wokeness. Telling people that the grammar you learned for your entire life and have used doesn't count anymore because somebody else's feelings might be hurt by actual, legitimate, accurate grammar, including pronouns. He and him for males and she and her for females. You have to relearn that. How is that not wokeness? How is it not wokeness for anti-racism to be taught to to teach people that the only way to make up for the injustices of past racism is to be racist in the present against the other side. That's what they're teaching. Teaching 
uh, you know, that we all have to play along and play charades. That when we see a girl who's an obvious girl who says, my name is George, call me a he, we have to do that or we get detention or suspension or re-education, training or fired. The identity politics game. How is it not wokeness that drag queens went from being adult cabaret dark corners to school libraries, to parks, to parades? How is men destroying women's sports, not wokeness? These things matter to every single American. Don't gaslight us into thinking it's all about the economy. It is about so much more. And oh, by the way, the economy under Joe Biden also sucks. The real economy, the real 4.8 inflation rate that he had spiked up over 9%. The real economy. Don't tell us wokeness doesn't matter. It does. The culture wars are real and they will decide the fate of this country. And that's why we're going to talk to Dr. Piper after the top of the hour news. Stay here. Always Right Radio. You and I have a rendezvous with destiny. We'll preserve for our children this, the last best hope of man on earth, or we'll sentence them to take the last step into a thousand years of darkness. Welcome to Always Right Radio with Bob Franz. On AM 1420, The Answer. Powering forward, plowing through into hour number two. Thanks for being with us. Eight minutes after 10 o'clock on this Thursday, the 20th morning of the seventh month in the year of our Lord, 2023. And as it is a Thursday, it's a special treat for us because we get to experience the wisdom of the sage Dr. Everett Piper. Dr. Piper, a former university president, a best-selling author, a twice-weekly columnist, what else, a radio host of The Rebellion. He is also a county commissioner in Oklahoma, and he's our Thursday commentator as we navigate the culture war that has been brought to our shores. Dr. Piper, good morning. Good to have you back. How are you, sir? I'm doing great. Always good to join you, Bob. Thanks. So, Dr. Piper, we've got three or four things we're going to try to fit into our 20 minutes or so of conversation. So let's start with your column this week in the Washington Times, the one that was run this past Sunday, about history. You know, typically your headline, history is the, the one that was written for your article, history is the best teacher. We think, yeah, you know, we need to learn from World War II. We need to learn from, from even some of the mistakes of World War I. We need to learn of all of these historical things uh, so that we don't repeat those things. You went back much further than that. You went all the way back to biblical history to make some points here. Tell us about it. Well, again, I set the context by quoting mm-hmm. Winston Churchill and George Santayana. Santayana mm-hmm. was a philosopher in the early 1900s. Uh, he's the one that said he who doesn't learn the lessons of the past is doomed to repeat them. And then Winston Churchill comes along during World War II, and in front of the House of Commons, he actually paraphrases Santayana and says the same thing. If we don't learn the lessons of history, we're doomed to repeat them. If I may may interrupt to give you thanks, by the way, we have all quoted Santayana's line and not known it was Santayana. I didn't. I've always said those who who cannot remember the past are condemned to repeat it. I've used it countless times on the radio for 20-some years. I never knew who said it. Now I do. Thank you for that. Go ahead. Well, um, it is attributed to him. Somebody may argue that somebody earlier than Santayana said it because it's common sense. I mean, this Mm -hmm. is not something that... We should really argue with. When you look at the lessons of the past, they're always the best teacher. In fact, I had a mentor in my earlier career. He said the best predictor of future behavior was always past behavior. And he was essentially coaching me on how to lead people. 
But the way people believe, behaved in the past is likely, barring some dramatic conversion, and as a Christian I believe in conversion and repentance and a new transformational life, I believe that, but barring that Christian conversion, the best evidence of the way a person is going to behave in the future is always the way they behaved in the past. It's just a good uh, rule of thumb, it's common sense. Well, if that's true, then let's go back as far as we can and consider the lessons of history, and I obviously go back to the nation of Israel and the warnings that multiple prophets gave Israel. Uh, I mean, you have Jeremiah, you have Obadiah, you have, uh, you have uh, uh, Isaiah. Well, I go to Ezekiel in this particular article, and I quote him at great length, where he is essentially saying that if you don't stop this, now this is the Piper paraphrase, if you don't stop this, there will be consequences. Who is Ezekiel saying that to? He's saying that to his fellow countrymen. He's saying that to his fellow Jews. He's saying, you are God's chosen people, but you have an obligation to behave. And if you don't behave according to God's ways, God's rules, if you don't live within the boundaries of the Ten Commandments, if you will, you will suffer consequences. You will lose your freedom. You will lose your nation. You will lose your very identity as a Jewish people if you don't stop. And I've heard this said in evangelical circles. I'm going to attribute this to John MacArthur. I think he's the one that said it first, or at least I remember it that way. He has said, if God doesn't judge America, then he owes Sodom and Gomorrah an apology. And I think there's great wisdom in what John MacArthur is telling us for our day. Why would we think that we can avoid the same consequences for bad behavior that Israel suffered some 2,500 years ago? We're arrogant and we're presumptuous to assume that America, the United States, or even the Western world, whether it be Europe or anything in between, if we think that we will somehow dodge the bullet of all the apostasy and all the debauchery that we now celebrate, then we're crazy. Because history teaches us different, that when a nation abandons its core values, it's going to suffer the collapse of the culture, the glue that holds it together. It happened for Israel, and it's going to happen for us. But there is a redemptive message, even at the end of Ezekiel's warning. He says that if you will repent, and again, this is a Piper paraphrase, if you will repent and you will return to God's ways, if you will return to me, says God, then I will forgive you and I will heal your land. That is a promise, and we better start taking that to heart here in the United States. We're not going to continue to dodge the bullet or dodge the consequences much longer. Um, let me take a stab at that, only uh, as a devil's advocate, not literally, of course, but um, the covenant, God's covenant after the flood, he did promise, never again will I do this. Never again, never again will there be a flood to destroy the earth to punish you for your wickedness. Do you think people today, modern, and maybe it's secularists, well, secularists wouldn't even know that was said anyway, but do you think any, any people modern in, in the modern day uh, look at that and say, you know, God is all forgiving. God will never punish us the way he once did, first with the flood, second when you talk about Sodom and Gomorrah or, or anything of that nature? Well, they can, but they're not biblically literate if they do, <laughs> because they're not reading the whole story. They're just cherry-picking a few verses. Because, yes, God does promise after the flood not to destroy the earth by flood again. But he doesn't promise anything else. In fact, later on in Scripture, Revelation, for example, makes it very clear that yeah. at the end of days, Christ will come to judge, and he will come to judge with fire. So the earth will suffer consequences for its bad behavior, and the book of Revelation is replete with warnings as to what's going to happen at the hand of Christ himself. 
I mean, I hear this all the time, that Jesus is not harsh. Jesus is love. Jesus is love, but you can't separate discipline from love. The Lord disciplines those he loves. Discipline and love are not mutually exclusive. They're two sides of the same coin. We discipline our own children out of love, not out of hatred, not out of anger, but literally because we want them to be better. We want them to be successful. Discipline in someone's life is is integral to their success. Absolutely. And there are consequences for bad behavior. And the Bible makes that clear. Will we be judged by flood again? No. No, we won't. That, I, I, you can take God's promise to the bank. The earth is not going to be overwhelmed by a flood again. Will the earth suffer consequences other than that? Absolutely. Will we as a people, as a nation, as a culture, suffer the consequences for our sin and our bad behavior? Absolutely. That's the lesson of history. If you're going to behave badly, you're going to suffer bad consequences. Again, 1948, similar work, uh, Richard Weaver. Um, ideas have consequences. And if you're going to behave badly, if you get bad ideas, you're going to have bad behavior and you're going to have bad consequences. And the only solution is repentance and to return to true north. Dr. Everett Piper is our guest. Let's, you know, this is a pretty neat transition into your other column this week, which is Ask Dr. E, um, because we're talking about people and whether or not they do things for fear of punishment, perhaps from God, or if they do it because they have a conscience and they have a, a sense that they have to do things the right way. The question for Dr. E this week uh, came from somebody uh, called Pursuing Answers in the Heartland. And here's what they asked you. Is there a difference between righteous indignation and conscience? Does everyone have a sense of indignation? Does everyone have a conscience? If everyone possesses these things, why does anyone exhibit bad behavior? That's a mouthful, Dr. Piper. Go ahead and give us the thumbnail sketch version of your answer. Uh, okay, right now? or Okay, I didn't know if you were taking a break or not. No, so. no, let's roll with it because we have a couple of other ones to try to get after the break. So we'll get this one. Okay, uh, the answer is yes. Everybody does have a conscience, and yes, I think everybody does have a sense of righteous indignation. Uh, what's the difference between the two? Um, uh, your conscience is your awareness of right and wrong. Okay, For example, you know that it's wrong to abuse animals. Your indignation is the way you feel about it when you see your neighbor kicking your dog or kicking his dog. You know that it's wrong. Your conscience tells you it's wrong to steal. Indignation is what you feel when somebody takes something off of your property without permission. Now, C.S. Lewis talks about this in Mere Christianity. And frankly, one of the things that led him to convert from an agnostic to a Christian is in his research of ancient cultures. He recognized that there was a common thread. All cultures had a sense of conscience on the basics. Now, he acknowledged that there were minor differences between various different cultures, but by and large, Every culture recognized that when you steal something from me, I don't like it. I'm indignant. I tell you to stop. When you hurt somebody in my family, uh, if you murder them, I don't like it. I think you should suffer for that. Every culture shares this conscience, this awareness of moral right and moral wrong. The indignation is the feeling that we have when that boundary is crossed. C.S. Lewis became a Christian because of the reality of that existing cross-culturally. So why do we violate that? Well, number one, I think it's because of the original sin. We are created in the image of God. We have freedom. We can choose. And we're not automatons. We're not robots. Uh, God breathed into human beings the breath of life. He stamped on our soul the Imago Dei, the image of God. He didn't do that to a rock. 
He didn't do that to a chemical compound or a tree or even a pig or a mule. They don't have that conscience or that indignation. We do. So why do we violate it? Because of the original sin. We want to be as God. We want to be the judge at the end of days as to what's right and what's wrong and what's good and what's and what's bad. We want to rise up and supplant God and play that role ourselves. And as a result, we start violating the rules for our own sake, because we don't like what those rules tell us. Dr. Everett Piper, that's a, that's a mouthful, and that's a lot, and, and that's a lot to comprehend. I wish we had more time than we do on this one, but we are going to take our time out here, coming up on 1020. The difference between conscious and indignation. Um, we'll, we'll, we're going we're gonna to move on. We're going to talk about um, public confidence in universities plunging, uh, thanks to new controversies. Perhaps one of the reasons why Dr. Piper is a former university president rather than a current one. We'll let him talk about that next on Always Right Radio. Ten twenty-two. Now we do have time, and I'm glad we have a little bit of extra time here. We broke when we did, so we can talk about a couple more issues with our guest, Doctor Everett Piper. Doctor Piper, what year was it that you stepped away and uh, retired from uh, your presidency at Oklahoma Wesleyan? Uh, 2017, 18. Wow. After that's about cool. uh, uh, after about seventeen years as president, so I had a good run. Yeah, you did, and and you chose to leave. You weren't asked to leave. You chose to leave because of a number of reasons. I remember some of them from that time. How much of those maybe are are applicable or attributable to things like we are seeing right now? There's an article here uh, that you shared with me, and I appreciate that. Public confidence in universities plunges amid controversies. There are a lot of controversies, and quite frankly, um, higher education is very different today and in this era, perhaps since you uh, retired uh, from your post there and resigned your post than it was, you know, 10, 15, 20, 25, 30 years ago. Tell me the state of colleges and universities and how uh, how much that impacted your decision to leave when you did. Well, let's let's answer this, the end of it, the second question before I get in, because it's very, I, I left, number one, I had a good run, and I've always believed that a good leader hands the baton in full stride. You don't wait until you're stumbling. You don't wait until they want you to leave. Mm-hmm. You, you leave when they want more rather than less. That's good leadership. Um, so I wanted to hand my successor a gift and a blessing rather than a curse. The institution was debt-free. We had increasing enrollment. We were blessed to have a national platform, a national voice that we didn't have before. And frankly, after 17, 18 years, I thought, get out of the way. Figure out, you know, you're still running hard. You're still running strong. You're still winning. But don't wait till you're losing to hand your successor the baton. Give it to him now. So that's one of the reasons. Now, there were challenges that were on the, but I kind of like a challenge. I like a good fight. And um, frankly, I think that's an opportunity for a Christian college to distinguish, distinguish itself as being very different than the rest of this lunacy that's going on in the ivory tower. Um, so that said, what's going on? Uh, did it start while I was in my presidency? Absolutely. In 2015, I wrote my This Is Not a Daycare op-ed, with, which went viral and gave us a national platform. I was the, I, I don't want to boast, but I, at the time I was the first and the only president that had the spine to step into this mix and say, this is nonsense. We're not supposed to be silencing debate. We're not supposed to be shutting down uh, differing opinions. The academy is a place to argue and to disagree and to debate and pursue truth, not prop up your own little opinions because... Um, you don't want to feel bad about being wrong. 
And I said, this is not a daycare. This is a university. I'm not going to coddle you. I'm going to confront you. Well, because I said that, everybody and their brother applauded and said, thank you. So in 2015, this, this mess was evident. It was starting. This, this whining and this complaining, these target, these uh, 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 trigger warnings and microaggressions and all this crap was very much in play. And I confronted it. And we won by confronting it. Uh, the, the, uh, the attitude that people had toward Oklahoma Wesleyan University increased and improved. It didn't go down. Well, now you look at the data. The data today shows that only 36% of people surveyed have a, a good opinion of higher education. Only 36%. In 2015, when I wrote my column that I just referred to, it was 57%. Well, what do you think has happened <laughs> from, from 2015 to today that has caused the American public to look askew at higher education? Well, you've got social and emotional learning, SEL. You've got Black Lives Matter, BLM. You have uh, 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 diversity, equity, DEI, and inclusion, right. DEI. Yep. You've got all this junk out there, and people are sick of it. People are sick of it. They don't want to pay money for this nonsense. They don't want a daycare. They want education. And good education teaches you how to read and how to write and how to think, and it teaches you that maybe the Constitution is good rather than bad. It doesn't teach you that you should be confused about your gender and that you should whine and complain if somebody doesn't use the proper pronouns. This is nonsense. The average American knows it. You know, as a supplement to this, Dr. Piper, I read an article this morning on Fox um, about uh, recruitment in the military. Uh, Headline, as recruitment flounders, this small change to the GI Bill would make kids flock to the military, so says one teen who wrote this. Uh, As university enrollment in Americans' confidence in higher education declines, which you just spoke of, there is growing support for allowing veterans to use their GI Bill benefits to... Not go to college, but to start a business rather than attend college. Proponents say the policy change could alleviate the military's recruiting crisis and put colleges on notice that they have to change the way they're operated. Well, maybe this is a parallel. Um, I agree with Mike Rowe. I agree with Dave Ramsey. I agree with Glenn Beck and others who are calling higher education into question today. Now, people should be stunned to hear me say that. I made my entire career as a leader within the academy. I believe in education. It changed my life. But it was education. It wasn't, it wasn't propaganda. It was, a, it was a university. It wasn't a daycare. I was challenged. I wasn't coddled. And that's the reason I changed and matured and became a different person. That reality no longer exists in 99% of the colleges and universities across the nation. And I agree. I would send my kid to a two-week seminar at Hillsdale College during the summer to learn how to think and to learn about the Constitution, and then I would take my money and send him off to a trade school to learn how to do something to have a productive life. But, I, but the combination of those two strategies might be better than higher education as it used to be. Because if I send my kid off to Michigan State or Bowling Green State, two of my alma maters, I don't trust them. I don't trust that my kid's going to get a decent education any longer. And unfortunately, I don't even trust... Ninety percent of the Christian colleges out there any longer because they are uh, are touting uh, their diversity, equity, and inclusion department. They're promoting BLM. They're promoting smo- social emotional. Or In other words, they're, they're woke. Down the Constitution. They're woke, and, they're, and, and, and wokeism is their religion. Absolutely, even at Christian colleges. So when Mike Rowe says go to a trade school, I don't disagree with him any longer. I think maybe there's wisdom in that. Now, you do learn 
you do need to learn how to think logically and how to communicate. But you can get that at Summit Ministries. You can get that at Worldview Academy. You can get that at a summer institute at Hillsdale College. You don't have to put yourself in debt at that forty grand a year to get a crappy education. Dr. Everett Piper, bringing it strong today. Really, really great stuff. We um, we need to plan a... You know, another uh, another uh, appearance, maybe for an hour or two, and maybe take calls on this from people about the real advantages and the benefit of college versus the expense, and compare that to, as you say, perhaps getting real world experience in other in other ways. It's a very different thing now. And as a former university president, you're in a unique position to both boast of the the importance of college and condemn what it has become. So maybe that's something we'll have to talk about. Dr. Everett Piper, really great stuff. Thank you, my friend. I appreciate you very much, and we'll talk to you soon. All right. Blessings. Bye-bye. Thank you. Blessings to you as well. You think you'd like that? I feel like you would. I know I would. I feel like we'd have to broadcast it and promote it quite a bit ahead of time to let parents know, especially parents of teenage kids who are pushing up on high school or pushing up on the college uh, decision time. Find out if it is even worth it or if there's another way to go about it. Dr. Piper's uh, onto something there. Uh, maybe that's a show we'll do. 1030, we'll take news now. We'll come back. We're going to talk to the gaslighting of the American people by the Biden administration. Tyler O'Neill, uh, Daily Signal. He'll join us on AM 1420, The Answer. the darkness of tyranny. Always write radio with Bob France on The Answer. 1038, thanks again to Dr. Everett Piper. Terrific stuff all the way around. Uh, we're going to set up that show, I promise you. We're going to do at least two hours together. We're going to talk about whether or not college is worth the effort, the expense, whether or not the indoctrination you get there, which has indeed supplanted education as the primary goal. Uh, is something that you should steer your kids away from. Steer them toward maybe a summer course or two to learn how to learn, to learn how to think, and then get them into a trade, get them into something where they can be productive. So that's a great conversation. We'll follow up on that in the very near future. I want to welcome back to our program now Tyler O'Neill. Tyler is the managing editor, or is a managing editor at the Daily Signal, formerly with Fox News and PJ Media. He's also an author and a Hillsdale grad, which makes him one of my favorite people because uh, there aren't enough at well. It's a small school. How many can there be? But my daughter has recently won. Tyler O'Neill, welcome back. Good to have you on the program again. How are you? Hey, my pleasure. Thanks for having me. Always a pleasure to chat with you. I really enjoyed it last time, and I really enjoyed your column, uh, your last article on gaslighting. Gaslighting 101, how Biden and the left create their own villains. Um, this This is quite an extraordinary topic here because I feel like I can't figure out what they're doing on a day-to-day basis. Are they as daft as they appear to be when they talk down to us and condescend to us and tell us to believe things that we know not to be true? Um, are, are they that dumb or are they that strategic that they think that will work with people who really are not paying attention to what they're doing? Because anytime Kamala Harris speaks to an audience and anytime Joe Biden and, and uh, uh, Karine Jean-Pierre, anything I get from them, I swear to you, I feel like they're gaslighting me as if that's, their, that's literally their job uh, title. Yeah, well, it's interesting because I remember, you know, during the Obama years, Obama would get up there and he would, you know, most of his speeches and most of his uh, writings would be touting 
you know, the, the basic American ideals. And then occasionally he would just add these little bits in there where you could tell he was twisting American ideals in favor of the left's agenda. And it was it was always subtle with him, but it was always there. And conservative media had to call it out every single time. Uh, but here with with Biden and, as you said, with John Kareem Jean-Pierre and and with Kamala Harris, you know, they, they don't even try. They just go specifically for the leftist narrative and, you know, American ideals be damned, it seems so much of the time. But, yeah, I mean, I think it's a it's a combination of a few things. My column isn't just about those at the top, although I think, you know, obviously they're playing a huge role. But we've seen throughout our institutions, be it school boards and schools, be it big corporations jumping on uh, promoting transgender influencers like Dylan Mulvaney or, uh, you know, demonizing Ron DeSantis for his uh, parental rights and education bill or, or even going after basic uh, election integrity reform uh, like the like the Georgia law uh, that Biden came out and said was Jim Crow 2.0. Um, I mean, all of this, what you see is these elites who are going out there and drawing the most absurd conclusions, demonizing, they're taking their power in these institutions, using it to weaponize it against American values and Americans, and when Americans decide to make a think, they're silent. They're being told they're disinformation, misinformation. They're they're lying. That the, the truth is this, and you can't. How dare you question it? And I mean, it, I think it reached a fever pitch with COVID. But what we're seeing now is the Democrats and institutions seem to think that the sort of suppression that they used in COVID to silence criticism of the government's official line, they can now use to silence criticism of the government's line on all sorts of issues, especially, you know, it shocks me the most with the transgender issue, but with these pornographic books in school libraries, I mean, you just had President Obama write an open letter to librarians across America saying he stands with them as if they're in battle and as if people are, are attacking them in the streets. And it's like, um, no, what's happening is parents are rightly concerned that books like Genderqueer, which have sexually explicit images, sexual encounters between a grown man and a boy, are in school libraries. And parents raise a stink, and how does the American Library Association respond? They say, oh no, this is book banning. This is trying to silence the truth. This is going after people because they're LGBT or black or whatever. And it's like, no, it has absolutely nothing to do with that. You have to be high on, you know, you have to be high on the worst stuff coming from the border with Mexico to believe this crap. But but they they keep pushing it over and over again, and they're driving Americans insane. And I think that really is the strategy. They want to have another sort of January 6th that they can point to as evidence, as if the average American's reactions to the left's abuse of power is itself evil. And it's it's not. And what we have to do is constantly call them out on it and do so with gentleness and respect, having a good conscience so that when they try to smear us, they can't. It backfires on them. 
We're talking with Tyler O'Neill, managing editor at the Daily Signal. His uh, column, I'm tweeting it out. It's uh, gaslighting Joe Biden and the left uh, manufacture their own villains. Uh, let I want to follow up. I'm glad you brought up the book banning thing, and I'm glad you brought up the Obama letter too. I saw that as well, and it's just. Since when did we accept that anything that is published, anything that somebody can type up and get managed to be put inside a hardcover and a binding, that it must be treated with reverence, that it must be everyone should have access to this, no matter what it is? I mean, because there are some very, very inappropriate things for any library that I wouldn't recommend to people, much less children's libraries. Since when? I mean, is a book of penthouse forum letters uh, that is that is that is you know that is compiled and published. Is that acceptable to be in a school library? Or if we say, hey, we should take that off of there, are we book banning? Are we the ones that are trying to silence truth? Right. Well, that that is fundamentally the question because you know I think there is a healthy approach, and and this is this is the thing that annoys me about whenever Barack Obama makes statements like this. You know, if you read his letter. Almost all of it is these statements of American principle, like, you know, we, we believe that when there's bad speech out there, the answer is more speech, not censorship. And he even lamented that some conservative books are being attacked. But at mm-hmm. the same time, it's all clearly in the service of this narrative. And I think what, what your question makes the important point here, because it's not that you know, it's not like uh, these parents are demanding that Huckleberry Finn be removed from bookshelves. They're not demanding that classic literature be removed. They're demanding that these books, many of which are graphic novels, many of which show sexual acts mm-hmm. in, you know, in picture form, as though, you know, as though this were something acceptable for children. It's like, no. And we have to. Well, even the literature that accompanies the pictures, Tyler, is, I mean, it's yeah. literal graphic. Well, yeah. You know, they're describing, you know, oral sex and, and, and other various sex acts. They're teaching, here's how to do it, blah, blah. The descriptions are just as bad as the, as the, the, the pictures. And again, they're not actual pictures, they're drawings, they're illustrations of sexual acts being, you know, carried out by, by, by you know, all different types of combinations of people. Um, the, the, yeah. the idea that that, that we are somehow trying to silence or censor or suppress or be book banners or book burners by simply saying appropriate is appropriate and inappropriate is inappropriate is, is crazy. Like I, I kind of referenced the, the idea of a penthouse forum, uh, book, uh, you know, of those letters all added together. Well, just the magazine itself. There wasn't a Playboy on my school library shelf, uh, on the magazine rack, I should say, next to the Sports Illustrated. It, it's just, that's not appropriate, but, it appears to me that what they're telling us now is if that was a playboy for gay people, if it were, or trans people, then it would be like, hey, right. you can't take that off of there. That's banning books. Well, and, that, and that's demonizing and attacking trans people or gay people yes. is how they how they frame it. And, yeah, no, I mean, that's the because They don't, you know, it's not like they're, it's not like the schools would encourage conservative uh, books as well as uh, liberal books in, the, in their school libraries. But, you know, God forbid anybody complain about a, effective smut. Uh, it's, yeah, no, and, and these, are, these are entirely different issues, right? Like, as, as you're pointing out, this has nothing to do with ideas 
or with the people who are writing these books. It has everything to do with the content and the explicit sexual nature of these things and the fact that, you know, in many states, it is illegal to distribute materials of this sort to children. Mm-hmm. And yet we have an, an institution, you know, the education institution, one of America's premier institutions, creating a pipeline for this for this explicit sexual content to kids. I mean, it's that words can't express how outrageous and disgusting this is. And yet they seem to have decided that this is a hill they want to die on. Yeah. Yeah, no, there's no doubt about it. Tyler O'Neill is my guest, his uh, latest for The Daily Signal, which I have indeed tweeted out. You should follow uh, Tyler there as well at uh, Tyler2O'Neill. That's the number two, Tyler, the number two O'Neill with one L, um, and read his work. I'm going to quote from this article when you talk about Biden's most egregious gaslighting. Uh, when called out on his abuses, Biden, for example, blames Republicans and the Supreme Court for stopping his student loan scheme. He blames Senator Tommy Tuberville for stalling the promotion of military officers in protest against the abortion travel policy, says that's totally irresponsible, as if Biden hadn't politicized the issue in the first place. The White House has defended its efforts to censor Americans, claiming it took the responsible actions to protect public health, safety, and security. And Tyler, uh, and they, yet they attacked us when we say we want to limit or restrict the inappropriateness of certain things from children. I mean, th- this is really uh, as egregious as it gets. Yeah, well, and, and as I wrote in the piece, I think it's, it really seems as though it's a, in, an intentional strategy to drive Americans, ordinary Americans, crazy, because he, he's just going to the utter extreme acting as though, you know, and and Biden isn't alone in all this, but he has weaponized the government against American speech. He's weaponized the government against pro-lifers. I mean, after the overturning of Roe v. Wade, which was long overdue, and all it really did was allow states to make their own laws on it, Mr. Hyde Amendment himself, you know, Joe Biden, who spent decades in the Senate defending the Hyde Amendment, saying that he was personally pro-life, but he would protect uh, the right, the quote-unquote right to abortion, he suddenly weaponizes arms of the government to promote abortion. You know, this DOD policy, it's, you, sometimes it's hard for a military, a member of the military, to get time off work, to go to a family member's funeral, and yet under this new policy, military members get, I think it's three weeks, um, without, without question, you know, a, a woman serving in the military gets three weeks off for an abortion. And the government will pay for her to, to travel across state lines to get an abortion if the abortion is illegal in the state where she resides. So this is, you know, this is an absurd ideological twisting of our own military and when tommy tuberville stands up and uses his authority to say no he won't stand by this biden says it's his fault as though you know as though biden hadn't weaponized it in the first place and over and over and over again we see this this pattern of biden taking an extreme step like 
trying to reinterpret a law passed by Congress to forgive billions in student debt across the country, effectively a, a handout taking from America's American tax dollars to give it to people who went to college and didn't pay off those loans. And look, college as a system, it needs serious reform. We have to change things to make it so that the so that the system doesn't incentivize people to take out these enormous debt, these enormous loans and debt yeah. for degrees that aren't going to pay off in the long run. But at the same time, you know, that is an issue we have to address. But that doesn't that you take money from the Americans who worked to pay off their loans or who decided never to go to college because they thought it wasn't worth it. You take money from them and then you give it to those people who have not paid off their loans and who were just lucky enough to have gone to college recently enough that, you know, they still have debt. So it's this really bizarre, unfair and blatantly unconstitutional act. And when Republicans sue to block it and the Supreme Court rightly upholds the law against it, Biden acts like a spoiled child saying, look, this is all your fault. And now he's, he's trying to resurrect anyway. It's, it, it really is infuriating. And well, Americans have every right to be angry. And yet, you know, we have to be wise about it. And we have to, you know, it's... That, that's crucial, that, Tyler. Let me jump in because um, what you said at the beginning of that last commentary is spot on. They're doing everything they can, and you wrote about it, to drive you crazy, to drive you into a fit of frustration where you just throw your hands up and say, I just can't anymore. And it works. That's the real you know, crap of it all. It's successful. I know a lot of very, very good people, family values, conservative type of people who look and watch what's going on and they're fighting at this corner, they're fighting on that corner, they're fighting this issue, fighting out, and they're eventually just saying, oh my gosh, you make no sense. You literally are saying the opposite of what, what is happening and, and telling me that it's not true and you're gaslighting me and people just say, I can't anymore. And they just throw their hands up, they turn off the radio, they close the newspaper, they turn off the TV and they just, and they just kind of surrender to whatever's going to happen. It's going to happen without me. And that's that's terrifying to know that it actually works, Tyler. And that's why we have to call it out and be vigilant and to be, as you say, you know, to 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 be as wise as we can and making sure we know how to pick our battles, I guess. Yeah. Well, and the scary thing is you also cancel culture. So a lot of Americans are shamed and terrified into silence because totally. they think that they're going to lose. You know, they're going to lose their bank. They're going to lose their job. They're going to lose their friends. Uh, because they say something that really is, you know, mainstream, common sense, just true. And yet it goes against the narrative that is trying to pull the wool over Americans' eyes. Look what they're trying to do to Jason Aldean, for crying out loud. And again, that's just a sharp stick in the eye, not of a you know millionaire singer, which he is, but it's a stick in the eye of what he wrote the song about. And that is just, you know, again, rural Americans, small-town Americans, family-values Americans, where they don't do the kind of crap that goes on in the biggest leftist cities, and it's a stick in the eye. And how dare you promote that and condemn and show what happens in our cities with those videos of the, you know, the violence and the, uh, uh, in 
in the BLM and Antifa riots. So uh, it, it, once again, yeah. it's the same exact uh, same exact pattern repeated again and again and again. Tyler O'Neill is uh, managing editor at uh, the Daily Signal, a great uh, columnist and author as well. Make sure you check that out. I tweeted it from France Rants. Follow him at Tyler Two O'Neill. Tyler the number two O'Neill with one L. Tyler, appreciate you coming on. Every time you do, we'll uh, we'll do it again soon. Hey, my pleasure. Thanks again for having me. You got it. Thank you. Uh, it's 10.56. We'll get a time out here. We're going to go to the top. And on the other side, Josh Williams. Representative Josh Williams uh, working hard in the Ohio State House to protect kids from obscenity. He's being accused of, of trying to pass an anti-drag bill. That is not what he's doing at all. I spoke to him on Dr. Gorka's show yesterday. If you missed it, you're going to want to hear this coming up. If you heard it, you're going to want to hear this coming up. Stay here. Always Right Radio, AM 1420, The Answer. And Hunter's in the basement with a silver spoon. The hookers and drugs, we're going to be there soon. When you're coming home, Dad, I don't know when. I'll be good and high by then, Dad. It has become yeah, I'll be good a and hit. high by then. Picking through rugs. It has become a hit. I played it on Dr. Gorka's show last night nationwide. People are downloading Hunters in the Basement from our webpage. Go to whkradio.com. And uh, click on the Hunters in the Basement tab. You can download it for 99 cents. Put it on your phone. Hunters in the Basement right now at whkradio.com. This hour of Always Right Radio is brought to you by keepingmedicaresimple.com and The Floor King. You and I know and do not believe that life is so dear and peace so sweet as to be purchased at the price of chains and slavery. If nothing in life is worth dying for, when did this begin? Just in the face of this enemy? Or should Moses have told the children of Israel to live in slavery under the pharaohs? Should Christ have refused the cross? Should the patriots at Concord Bridge have thrown down their guns and refused to fire the shot heard round the world? The martyrs of history were not fools. And our honored dead who gave their lives to stop the advance of the Nazis, didn't die in vain. Where then is the road to peace? Well, it's a simple answer after all. You and I have the courage to say to our enemies, there is a price we will not pay. There is a point beyond which they must not advance. This is Always Right Radio with Bob Frantz on AM 1420, The Answer. Oh, yes, indeed it is, and it is hour number three now. Ten minutes after 11 o'clock on this Thursday, the 20th morning of the seventh month of the year of our Lord, 2023. Great conversations all day long so far. Tyler O'Neill, Daily Signal, Dr. Everett Piper, Washington Times. Uh, First hour, Ken Blackwell, former Secretary of State, vote yes on issue one. And I want to continue that now. I was hoping to get Josh Williams, who is a state representative from uh, Lucas County, Toledo area, uh, live. That was the plan, is to have him live today. But then I had the opportunity to interview him on the Dr. Gorka show as I was hosting America First, which I will do again today and tomorrow. But um, so since I did him yesterday, I figured I'm not going to make him go through the whole thing again. I thought, let's just share what you may have missed yesterday afternoon uh, with, the, with this audience today. 
So yesterday on America First, I talked with Josh Williams about House Bill 245. It is a bill that some are calling an anti-drag bill. That's not what it is, as you will hear explained by Representative Williams himself. Listen. Well, hold on. It would probably help if we had everything plugged in properly. And now we're going to try that one more time here. And I love what I've seen so far. So, Representative Williams, let's talk about HB 245. Now, if I'm if I'm not somebody who's fluent in this, and I'm just kind of looking from the outside, AC, and do a little, little checkup on Ohio, HB 245, oh, they want to ban drag shows. Why do you want to criminalize drag shows? How come drag, which has been around for decades and decades and decades, suddenly is going to lead you to being thrown in jail? That's the way the story is being painted. Josh Williams, is that accurate? Uh, it's very inaccurate. So we're not looking to ban drag shows. What we're looking to do is make sure that obscenity is not viewed by minors. That's it. It's a very simple concept. Uh, we're updating the obscenity laws here in the state of Ohio that's saying any performer, any entertainer um, that is outside of what is known as an adult cabaret, an adult-only exclusive um, environment, and is out in the public, should not engage in obscene conduct in the presence of a minor. So, you know, I've got, I've got critics and, and people who oppose you and probably everything you and I stand for that I'm reading on, on social media in Ohio and on uh, traditional media in Ohio saying something very, very different, that you are seeking to ban drag and to, and to make drag a felony. So you're clarifying that it should be in adult-only spaces. But tell me what the bill says specifically. Can it actually be a felony if somebody does a drag performance that's not in one of the cabarets or the adult-only venues that you speak of? No. So what the bill does is it specifically outlines what is prohibited conduct, and it's according to current Ohio state law as it relates to obscene conduct and conduct that is harmful to minors. Those are two terms that are uh, actually defined in Ohio Revised Code 2907.01. They've been on the books for decades. Uh, Every other individual uh, in Ohio had to follow these laws. But recently, there's been a group of individuals that believe because they're uh, part of a particular group that they are somehow immune and shouldn't have to follow the obscenity laws in the state of Ohio. So... Representative Josh Williams of Ohio, um, who gets to define obscene? Because I've seen, you know, videos of drag shows that I just, I cringe, particularly the ones that are put on during Pride Month, and they are as sexual as any strip show I've ever seen. Um, the only difference being instead of a real woman, it's a fake woman doing it. It is, it is grotesque. And I've seen others that are a little bit more, you know, a, a little bit more buttoned up, if you will, very less sexual, uh, sexualized clothing and gyrations and so on and so forth. So what's obscene? Is it in the eye of the beholder, the eye of the police, the eye of the judge? How would that work? Uh, it's in the eye of the Supreme Court. Essentially, a long time ago, they made the, the decision that obscene uh, speech is not protected speech, that obscene material is not protected material under the First Amendment. They clearly define that in several cases over the decades. Ohio followed that guidance and enacted 2907.01. Uh, and, and Section F is the definition of what is obscene. I'm not going to read it to you in because it's pretty long, but what it deals with is this idea of it guided towards prurient interest, meaning sexuality towards uh, um, masturbation, towards sexual gratification. Uh, it has no literary interest, no educational purpose, no, inter- no true entertainment purpose. Um, so what we are saying is we're going to 
expand the definition of cabarets, adult cabaret performances that include not only strippers, but go-go dancers, topless dancers, and individuals that are performing in attire with costumes and prosthetics that are, are different than their biological sex. And we're going to wrap all of you in one group and say, and it says, any other entertainers, um, you are all going to be held to the same standard, which is do not engage in obscene conduct in the presence of a minor. It will be viewed on a case-by-case basis like it's been for decades um, for every other area. I mean, everything from nudie mags to pornography to strip clubs have been judged under the obscenity laws of the states. Uh, of, of the United States, and that's the same for so, everyone. So that would clearly kill uh, Drag Time Story Hour, and it would kill Pride Parades during the month of June in the state of Ohio. Uh, I know you're going to have to answer for that. I want you to hang on with me if you would. We'll come right back. We'll talk more with Josh Williams, state representative in Ohio, about that bill. Stay here. I'm Seb Golka. Now let's get back to the show with Bob France. So we continue now at 17 minutes before the top of the hour. Bob France in uh, Cleveland, Ohio, talking with Josh Williams in Toledo, Ohio. Josh is an Ohio state representative. He's got 43 co-sponsors behind a bill in the state of Ohio, House Bill 245, to um, not ban, but regulate and restrict drag performances or any performances that contain sexuality, sexualization, or obscenity from being done in front of kids. In other words, uh, the uh, the stuff you've seen during Pride Month and parades and in parks and all kinds of other places where they're putting drag performances on in front of kids would all be criminalized in the state of Ohio and may be punishable as felonies. So, Representative Williams, it's your bill. Now, I think I said something going into the break there that this would end Drag Time Story Hour and you're kind of saying not really. Why? Um, So courts have ruled that drag time story hour, that type of activity is not inherently obscene. Uh, It's First Amendment protected activity if the library allows it. It's the actions of the actual participant, the the entertainer, the performer, that is going to be judged by our bill and whether or not it rises to the level of obscenity, dealing with sexuality and rising sexual interest in minors. If it does, it has the potential of becoming a felony. So is there a boundary there? Um, Or maybe it's a bridge for them. Um, For example, they want to do one of these cabaret-type shows. They want to do it publicly. They want to do it in a gazebo at a park and bring the kids and sell hot dogs and watch the grown men and ladies attire dance. If they say, yeah, but we're going to read to them, too, technically that makes this story hour. And uh, the dancing is just incidental to that. Does that give them an out? Absolutely not. It would every single action of the performer will be judged independently. So if you if you want to read a book um, and you're you're modestly dressed and you're sitting in a chair, um, that is probably going to be protected constitutional First Amendment speech. But if now you want to remove your clothing, uh, start giving lap dances and and doing sexual um, performances in front of minors, that will be classified as obscene and can be punishable under the law. We're talking to Ohio State Representative Josh Williams on Twitter at Josh4Ohio. Josh, the number four in Ohio. Williams, so, Williams for Ohio. Oh, I'm sorry, Josh Williams. I'm sorry, Williams for Ohio. I apologize. I don't have it up in front of me. I thought I had it memorized. I didn't. My bad. So Williams for Ohio. Josh Williams for Ohio. And uh, the actual at is Williams, the number four, Ohio. So, Josh, um, tell me about what it does to pride parades. 
in the month of June, uh, where they're supposed to have these things in which, you know, the LGBTQ community, which, of course, contains and, and, and consists of trans people, males dressed as females. Is that considered drag? Is that considered obscene? Um, or, again, are we going to have to have video being taken of everybody everywhere and send that to a judge, send that to a jury and say, OK, now let's all decide whether that was obscene or not? Is How's that going to impact parades? So it won't automatically criminalize. Uh, parades or participation in parades, but if you're in a parade and you do things that expose uh, children to nudity um, while performing on a float or something like that, that will be judged on whether or not it, it crossed the line up to obscenity. And there's other statutes in, in Ohio that we're going to be looking at amending in the future, such as public, public indecency. But, but what we want to concentrate on is the entertainers and the performers. Every other entertainer is judged by that, right? So we saw Janet Jackson back in Super Bowl where there was an action that was exposed her breast. There was outrage because that is classified as obscenity. And there was minors present at that game, right? Mm-hmm. And, and that introduced um, new rules that put, you know, uh, Super Bowl performances on a delay in case that happened in the future. Those are examples of a normal performer crossing the line into obscenity halfway through a performance. But what, what you know, the performer part is kind of getting me here, uh, Representative Williams. I mean, what we saw again in a lot of big city pride parades, they weren't performers, they were just participants in the parade that basically were naked. I mean, we're talking about, you know, leather thongs with dog collars on and, you know, grown men with their hairy rear ends, literally exposed, uh, marching, marching down the parade route on all fours. It's indecent, it's obscene by virtually any definition, but it's not a performer, it's just a person participating in a parade. Is there a way to stop that when you talk about maybe the public indecency laws yeah that's where we're looking at the public indecency laws here in the state of ohio and and to be clear in our bill you don't have to be paid in order to be classified as a performer so they may cross that line into being actually a performer even though they're not paid or hired by anybody but even just in the general public everyone's going to be held to the, the same standard that's what i'm trying to get across here is that what we are doing is we are creating a standard for every single group every single individual to abide by. There's no way you can say that I'm targeting a particular group when every single adult is going to be held to the same standard, which is do not do obscene gestures or activity in front of our kids. It's, it's a simple, our kids need to be protected here in the state of Ohio. I asked you before a little bit about what makes it, you know, take it, takes it from a misdemeanor to a felony. Um, uh, be more specific on that scale, because I thought that I read if it's a certain type of performance for a certain age of minor, it's maybe a fifth-degree felony. If it's a younger age minor, it's a fourth-degree felony. Does it is is that how it goes? Is there kind of a sliding scale? There is. So uh, misdeme- there's a misdemeanor. Um, that can be just harmful to a juvenile under the definitions here in the Ohio Revised Code. If it's classified as obscene, it can be a felony of the fifth degree. And if it's in the presence of someone under the age of 13, it can rise to a felony of the fifth degree. Okay, so there is a bit of a scale like that. So this is this is pretty well um, well thought out, um, and I'm sure it's pretty well hated by virtually anybody and everybody. Uh, you know, uh, on the left and left side of the political ideological scale, are you a homophobe? Are you a transphobe? Because I know that's what they're calling you. They can call me whatever they want. I'm not a homophobe or a transphobe. What I want is equality for everybody, and that's equality of responsibility as well. When it comes to our children, we shouldn't be pressing into that space. So when it came to normal heterosexual adult activity, such as strip clubs, 
and go-go dancers and topless bars, everyone was in agreement that that shouldn't be done in the presence of a minor. Now there seems to be debate. Now that we're moving into other areas of our society and people believe that they should be able to normalize behavior in the presence of minors for the idea of having empathy in the future, that's not the case. We want to protect minors from all sexual-type-oriented conduct in the state of Ohio that rises to the level of obscenity. Speaking, the state legislature has the authority to do that. Yeah, and that's so that's so very well said. I, I wish I knew why, and it's something we're going to talk about when we're done here, but uh, I'm, I wish I knew why they decided to bring this from the clubs and the cabarets to the classrooms and the child stages and the, and the parks and the streets. It's really a remarkable thing that they want to bring this to kids. Josh Williams, follow him at Williams4, the number four, Ohio, Williams4, Ohio. Josh Williams, thank you so much for being with us. I'm Bob Franson for Dr. G on America First. Okay, so that was obviously uh, from yesterday's America First uh, with Dr. G. Uh, I just wanted you to hear it in case you missed it on that. We do Ohio you know, interviews like this. I want it to be specific to you. And I now have an opportunity, now that you've heard it, to uh, see if you want to respond to it. House Bill 245 is simply an anti-obscenity in front of children's bills. A bill. It's got 43 co-sponsors. The name sponsors are Josh Williams uh, and uh, one other, and I cannot remember the other sponsor. Now I apologize. Representative King. Um, and uh, I'm interested in how you feel about it. I don't think it should be that controversial. And if it is felonious to corrupt the mind of a child, then let a felony be charged. I, I can understand exactly. It's going to be tough, I think. To identify all of that without giving too much leeway to a judge or jury, but um, but I do think something needs to be done to protect kids. By the way, Senator J.D. Vance is doing a lot to protect kids as well. He's got a bill at the federal level, of course he is, uh, Senator Vance, uh, that is also aimed at protecting children from this sort of thing, specifically when it comes to them wanting to change their sex because of all of the confusion that has been poured into their heads by social media, teachers, guidance counselors, sometimes even family members. So we're going to talk about that, too. But I uh, am now finally able to take calls. We've had nothing but guests all day. 216-901-0945-888-281-1110. Stay right here on Always Right Radio. Okay, 1128, I've got time for a few phone calls between now and 1145 when we ask O'Reilly to take us home. Well, not home, but up to the top of the hour with uh, Charlie Kirk and some Dennis Prager. And then I'll be back in the chair again at 3 o'clock for America First with uh, Sebastian Gorka. Uh, AC is in Cleveland. AC, thanks for waiting. You're on the air. Go ahead. Yes, Bob. Real quick. I have a question concerning the last time that the... Ohio Constitution was amended. That's when they passed the casino amendment, okay? Right. And my question is, how many, what was the percentage of Ohioans that voted for that amendment to be passed? I don't recall. Was it? Yeah, that was something that you could. When was that? Like 2009 ish or somewhere in that neighborhood? 2009, 2009. I don't remember exactly. 
Yeah, I remember I'm but, still ticked off that we were lied to by Dan Gilbert, who was only going to put that casino temporarily in the Higby building until he built this brand new, you know, uh, construction that was going to, you know, bring a bunch of construction jobs and a bunch of money and so forth. And that never happened. That temporary building became the permanent building. But I will. I will try to uh, find that out during the bottom of the hour news break. Sound good? Okay, thank okay, you. I'll check it out, and if I can find it, I will uh, announce it on the other side of the break. We'll take that time out now here at the bottom. A reminder, don't forget, Hunters in the Basement is available for download. It got a ton of downloads yesterday during the Corcus show when I played it for the national audience. Go to whkradio.com and look for the Hunters uh, in the Basement big banner. You'll see it. Click it. It'll take you right to the little preview and then right to the uh, purchase page. Cost you 99 cents. It's like literally free. Uh, take that, well, figuratively free anyway. Cost you 99 cents. Get it for your phone and share it with everybody because that is what we are dealing with at the uh, top of our government right now. We'll take a time out. It's 1130 Always Right Radio. This hour of Always Right Radio is brought to you by The Floor King and KeepingMedicareSimple.com. Yeah, yeah, you started to hear it there because I uh, just kind of felt like I had to. Why not? My child called me up just the other day. He said, Dad, I You've heard this a few times now, haven't you? And I had lots of cash. But bills to pay, he said, don't worry. Yeah, people, we got tired of people asking, where can I get it? Where can I get it? Can I download it? Can I share it? And the answer is, yeah, you can share it. Yeah, you can download it. Yeah, you can play it for other people. Just get it off of the website. Download it onto your phone. It'll cost you a buck, 99 cents. Just go to whkradio.com. I think it's one of the best parody songs that I've heard in a very long time. And I'm not saying that just because of my participation in it. It's just fun. It's just cool. And it's just so apropos of what we're dealing with right now. Hunters in the Basement at whkradio.com. Whkradio.com. You uh, can download that song. Put it on your phone. Put it on your playlist. Wouldn't it be kind of cool? You just got your playlist going. You're driving in your car, and you got Journey going here, and then here comes a Bon Jovi song, and then suddenly you hear Hunters in the Basement. <laughs> just put it on your list, man. That's kind of cool. Uh, last caller asked me um, when the casino amendment was passed in Ohio, what was the percentage of passage? And I said I didn't know, but I would look it up. And indeed, I did. Here's what I've got. Ohio Issue 3 from November 3rd, 2009. A constitutional amendment to allow casino gambling with facilities in Cincinnati, Cleveland, Columbus, and Toledo. With a fixed tax of 33% of gross casino revenue going to the state and establishing the distribution of that tax revenue. Election results from November 3rd, 2009. Yes, 1,713, I'm sorry, 1,713,288 votes. No, 1,519,636 votes. It passed by just 5%. 52.99, or actually that was the margin. 52.99, 47.01% opposed it. So, 
if the proposal that we are pushing on issue one had been in place in 2009, the casino gambling would not have passed. The amendment would not have passed. Now, that's not to say there still wouldn't have been casinos in Cleveland or in uh, Ohio, because that's something that could have been done by a bill, by the state legislature. And it could have been something that citizens forced to get onto the ballot by using uh, a petition and getting a petition uh, to the Ohio legislature. And if they choose not to uh, bring it up for a vote, then they can put it right in front of the people as a referendum item on a ballot. But if the rules had been in place then that we have today, that's or that we are pushing for, rather, the 60% we are pushing for on August 8th, the, uh, the casino amendment would not have passed. That's reality, 53%. I hope that answers your question. It should. Now, how you feel about that is another question altogether. Are you glad we have casino gambling? If you are, then you're probably uh, glad there was only the 50% plus one threshold. If you are not, do not like casino gambling, then maybe you wish we had the 60% threshold because it wouldn't have passed then. Uh, but the reality is when it comes to this particular issue, the changes are myriad. I mean... Um, coming from around the country and across uh, the nation with just organizations who have a lot to gain as a part of their national agenda to reshape Ohio uh, in, a, in a fashion that they, as radical leftists and Marxists, uh, approve of. That is what their goal is, and they're spending millions and millions and millions of dollars to do it. And if they keep Ohio's... Uh, a constitution as being malleable and pliable and changeable so easily at 50% plus, I mean, plus one single vote. Lord only knows if they can pass an amendment at 50% in November that allows you to butcher a baby to death minutes before it's born. Literally, there's no restriction on abortion if that goes through in November. What else would they do? You can literally... Tell, a mother can say, I changed my mind. I don't want it anymore. Circumstances change. Husband lost his job. I don't know. Whatever it is, this, this amendment would allow that radical partial birth or, or whatever it is you want to call it, late-term abortion to happen. No restrictions. None. And if the child is born and then grows up and it's three, four, five years old, expresses a little bit of confusion because of the indoctrination that they're getting in so many different places and says, I think I'm a boy or I think I'm a girl, and they're not. Start getting them on puberty blockers. Start getting them on cross-sex hormones. Start dressing them up as the opposite sex and just literally irreversibly destroying their lives because the language allows that. You know that, right? The language in the uh, November... um, uh, citizen-initiated ballot or ballot initiative, I guess is the best way to call it. Um, the language is so vague, and it just talks about reproductive health for individuals, all individuals. That means including minors. There's no age restriction, and it also means changing the reproductive system by not, uh, you know, uh, becoming infertile, sterilized because of these radical procedures. You know, it's so funny. I've got this article in front of me. And I'm glad this caller asked this. I've got this article in front of me from NBC News. Conservatives are making the Ohio abortion amendment, the one in November, about trans rights. But we're not making it about that. They made it about that by writing a deliberately vague uh, ballot initiative. This amendment, by way of ballot initiative, is very, very vague, and it allows all of the things, those things to happen, and parents would have no say. It strips parents of the rights 
and it strips Ohio of the right to keep its talking about uh, talking about August eighth now. August eighth, if we do not pass issue one, it strips Ohio of its rights to keep its bedrock principles in place. The Ohio Constitution should not be malleable. It should not be easily changeable or amendable. It should be the bedrock, the foundational document that it is. And if you want to change laws in Ohio regarding abortion or transing or anything else, then you do it through the legislature. That's how the process works. So it's kind of interesting. This NBC News, groups attacking a proposed amendment to enshrine abortion rights in Ohio's Constitution are trying it or excuse me, tying it to parental rights restrictions and an expansion of transgender rights. It's because that's what it is. It takes parents out of play. Parents don't have to have a say in whether their 14- or 15-year-old daughter who was impregnated gets an abortion. It'll be totally up to the kid. Parents won't have a say as to whether an individual wants to change their reproductive system by stopping puberty blockers and using cross-sex hormones. So a 14- or a 15-year-old makes that life-altering decision with the mindset of only a minor without an adult having a say? Yeah. That's why we're telling everybody it's crucial. Protect Ohio's Constitution on August 8th by voting yes. And protect Ohio's kids, born and unborn, in November by voting no. That's the correct order of things. All right, that's it. That's all the time I've got. Thanks to everybody. We had great guests all the way through today. Ken Blackwell, uh, Tyler O'Neill. We had uh, Dr. Piper, and we had Josh Williams. Thanks to my team, and thanks to you. We'll see you tomorrow. Bye-bye. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.